Hello, my name is Jonathan Antoine. I'm a Dene from Tlitikwe First Nations that is located in the Daytil region of the Northwest Territories. I am the producer and host of All Ages, All Voices podcast brought to you by the Daytil First Nations and the Daytil Collaborative on Permafrost based at Wilfrid Laurier University. The main goal of All Ages, All Voices podcast is to highlight the role of Dene environmental stewardship in the face of climate change. In this episode, I talked to Miguel Siwi from Wilfrid Laurier University. Here is the conversation. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah, so Miguel Siwi, uh, I'm a faculty member uh, at the Department of Geography and Environmental Studies at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario. And um, I'll talk to you a little bit about my research background and, uh, and why I'm uh, interested in uh, Indigenous approaches to climate change, um, adaptation and mitigation. Uh, and of course, permafrost thaw as well. Um, so um, I'm a member of the Huron-Wandat First Nation, and I, I grew up in a, a, a very traditional Indigenous family, and that's where I learned my values and, um, you know, my worldview. And that informs how I approach my research today and uh, the types of research questions I'm interested in. And, you know, the fact that I've done research with indigenous communities and, and nations uh, in different parts of, um, of North America, you know, in Mexico and um, Eastern Ontario uh, with the Anishinaabe there, uh, the Yucatec Maya in Mexico, and now more recently up here in the Decho um, with the Dene peoples, and um, as well as the James Bay Cree in Northern Quebec. So uh, that's the kind of research I've done over the last um, uh, last 13 or so years, I would say, um, beginning uh, with my master's degree. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been a researcher. I've been a, a faculty member at the university um, for six years. Um, actually, on July 1st, it will be six years. And I can talk a little bit more about the research I'm doing in the Decho and why it's really important to me. And uh, also, I'll talk about why this podcast is a a very important research dissemination tool, you know, to get the word out there about what we're doing, um, especially in terms of the DCOP project with my colleague Bill Quinton. So the DCOP project is the Decho Collaborative on Permafrost. And so we have partnerships with Decho First Nations, but also a number of uh, communities within the Decho as well. And so I would say my role within this project, uh, which is led by Bill Quinton, my colleague, who's a hydrologist. So he's trained in, um, you know, this uh, Western scientific field. Uh, but the research that I do is more related to indigenous environmental stewardship coming, you know, f because of my background and what I'm interested in. Um, that's how uh, I try to conduct research with that in mind all the time. And so for me, my main commitment is to develop relationships, you know, meaningful relationships with my indigenous partners in different communities and, uh, and now specifically uh, within the, the Decho territory. And so this project is about using both Western science but, uh, and also indigenous knowledge to get a, a broader picture of climate change and permafrost thaw and how it's, you know, what it means on the land, you know, how are these changes uh, happening and what, um, you know, what are the results of all of these changes that are going on, both on the land, but also to the Dene peoples, you know, and that's what I'm really interested in, is to understand um, how 
the people of the Decho are, are experiencing climate change and permafrost thaw. And so we've seen some, some pretty bad impacts over the last couple of years with the flooding um, that's been going on, you know, massive flood events, uh, very destructive uh, to, to communities and to people's lives and um, also to uh, the, the Dene culture, right? Um, when there's those interruptions in how community members can use the land and practice their languages together on the land, I think that that's uh, another uh, impact of climate change that we don't really talk about. You know, we tend to talk about infrastructure and um, the more immediate concerns, but I think that there's also that dimension that's, you know, that we need to understand a little bit more. And hopefully through this, this podcast, we'll get to speak to uh, a number of different uh, community members throughout the Decho uh, from all walks of life, you know, from um, maybe those who work for their um, First Nation um, council, others who might be students, you know, even high school students perhaps, and um, just trying to get a number of people involved, you know, with their different perspectives, different backgrounds. Um, and so that's why it's called All Ages, All Voices, um, the name of this podcast. And so, yeah, so my, my role within the project is the community engagement and Indigenous knowledge side. I'm here to make sure that that gets reflected in the research that we do and that Western science and Western trained, you know, scientists um, can help to advance com community goals and objectives and agendas. So it's not the scientists that are in charge here. It's, you know, the communities themselves, the people themselves that who are deciding what needs to be done, you know, what, what kind of scientific re research should be done in the Decho and um, how uh, us as university researchers can be of, a, of assistance to uh, Decho First Nations, but also other Decho, well, the Decho community, the, the Dene communities within the Decho. So, and um, another thing that I'm really committed to is to make sure that the scientific outputs that are produced by this research are translated into a format, you know, a language that's meaningful and actionable uh, by community members, you know. Um, so that it does, the, that the research results, they don't just end up in scientific papers that no one reads. So, you know, one of the strategies that we've developed in partnership with Decho First Nations is this podcast, All Ages, All Voices, as a really key tool in sharing scientific information about climate change, about permafrost thaw that's ongoing in this region and communicating it in a way that's, you know, meaningful to community members and so people can be informed of what's going on in terms of the scientific research and also how climate change is impacting everyone's lives here. So um, yeah, I'd say that's that's how I would describe what I do in the day job. Nice, that's a really good intro. Um, yeah, uh, it's really important work that you're doing and uh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> can you describe your research in the day show? Or did we did yeah okay we we already did, did that we could just uh, edit that out <clears throat> um what what is a good one three or four okay four yeah okay so um yeah why is indigenous knowledge important when it comes to climate change uh, adaptation yeah that's a great question um, to me you know as an indigenous researcher. Um, for me, indigenous knowledge is uh, is 
my top priority and concern, right? To understand indigenous knowledge and how it relates to what we should do about climate change, right? And also what we know about climate change. Because I think it's important to recognize that indigenous peoples and their knowledge systems um, are very scientific. You know, I think that um, indigenous knowledge is science, right? So uh, that's something that everyone has to realize. You know, it's it's equally it's as equally valid as Western science, and that's something that um, we tend to forget. We tend to isolate indigenous knowledge from Western science. And in the past, you know, scientific researchers have created this kind of uh, hierarchy of knowledge where Western scientific knowledge is at the top and that's considered the most valid. And then, you know, near the bottom is indigenous knowledge because it's considered anecdotal, right? And so I think that that's completely false and it's the wrong way to think about indigenous knowledge. It should be treated uh, like a valid form of knowledge on the same uh, footing as Western science. So first and foremost, I think that that should be uh, clarified, you know, that should be understood by everyone. So the knowledge um, of hunters, trappers, land users in the Decho is as valid as, um, you know, the knowledge that's produced by uh, hydrologists, biologists working in the area and other scientists. And I would say it's even more valid because there's the lived experience component and the fact that people uh, and their families have been living in the Decho since time immemorial. So they've gathered that knowledge over millennia, right? And so that kind of, um, of value is really unique to Indigenous knowledge systems. That, that time perspective is just, it goes so far back, you know, whereas in Western science, uh, it tends to be more narrowly focused on individual components on the land. Um, so, you know, a certain species of animal like the caribou, biologists might investigate, might, they might study the caribou in isolation from other things, right? From the air, the water, the plants, and all the relationships that Indigenous people understand um, are, are part of our, our collective experience as, as living beings on the land, right? And so, in indigenous knowledge systems, you know, one thing that really strikes me is that um, there are so many similarities between different indigenous nations across Turtle Island, across the Americas, whether they're from the Yucatan, like the Maya or the Dene here in the Northwest Territories, or even the Wandat, you know, my own people. There's a common way of thinking about the land, and I, I characterize it as responsibility-based. Because when you talk to a, a trapper you know, a hunter, they talk about responsibilities. And, and, and one thing that I've heard around here in my research is, is paying the land, right? And giving thanks. And so those are responsibilities that we have as human beings to uh, the animals on the land. And that's one way that uh, we show our, our respect, right? For, for really our, our mother of the earth, our mother of the land, you know, that's something that's quite common, quite widespread through uh, across different indigenous groups um, on Turtle Island. And so I think that that's a key way of looking at the world and a key way of thinking about our position as human beings in relation to all of creation, all of the other beings on the land, is that we're not above all of these other beings. We're related, you know, they're our relatives, like the moose, the caribou, the plants, the trees, 
the mountains, the rivers, the sky, you know, those are all living beings. Those are all our relatives. And so we, we have responsibilities to our relatives, just like we have a responsibility to our biological mom, you know, our biological dad, our brothers and sisters, our uncles and aunts, and so on and so forth. That's how Indigenous peoples think about the land, you know. Uh, is through that those relationships and responsibilities. Whereas in Western cultures, people think about the environment and about the land through a rights-based lens. So it's how much, you know, what, what are my, um, my rights in relation to resource management? How much can I take? You know, how much profit can I get from this, the sale of this mineral, of these forests, you know, cutting down the forests and, and, um, and uh, selling, you know, the trees, the lumber? Uh, and so I think that it's really distinct here. We have indigenous responsibility-based knowledge, and I think that's the way forward for indigenous peoples and their communities when it comes to climate change planning, but also not only indigenous peoples. I think that those are key lessons that indigenous peoples um, are sharing with the rest of the planet, you know, with non-indigenous groups. Um, we've developed these ways of thinking here, these ways of knowing for, I mean, like I said, since time immemorial, and so that's something that contains profound value for the rest of humanity, at least the way that I see things. And so we're the first scientists and we're the first teachers here on the land, you know, on Turtle Island. Most of the, uh, the rest of the world in other continents, they've forgotten how to think about the land in that kind of way. But it's been preserved here in the Decho, in, in Dene communities. And, um, and in other indigenous communities across uh, Turtle Island and even around the world as well. But I would say that that way of thinking has been, you know, very much, it's still practiced and lived today in, in Dene communities around here. And um, traditional knowledges and values and languages and, uh, for example, the Dene laws, that's what guides people on the land still to this day. Whereas in non-indigenous society, we don't have that anymore. You know, we don't have that respect and that responsibility-based and uh, relational way of thinking. So I think that that's really um, the key value that Indigenous knowledge offers and why it's such a big part of the solution when we talk about climate change and climate change adaptation, not only for Indigenous communities, but for the whole planet. We need to think in more, you know, Indigenous ways, right? Quote, unquote. So, yeah. Um, yes, um, I think uh, what will be awesome is like, you know, like, how they have universities and and like uh, down south and stuff. I could see that up here, you know, like have statues of uh, I don't know, like the the great Dena professors, like in uh, like back in the day, because they're the ones that pass on the knowledge. So I think they should be recognized, and um, and like a Decho like university will be amazing to like showcase that for sure. Um, so. <clears throat> Uh, what would be the the next steps uh, to like in planning, conducting, and implementing indigenous knowledge in climate action? Yeah, well, I think the the next steps um, are really the first steps, you know, because we're just through this kind of research, these collaborative uh, research projects like DCOP, we're just starting, you know, to do research in the right way. I think, you know, that's truly collaborative, where we have um, scientists community members that are on, you know, a level playing field where it's not just scientists running the show and coming coming into the Decho and just deciding how to do everything, right? That's 
that's bad research. That's how bad research was done in the past and is still being done, unfortunately. So I think that the first step is com- is a commitment from everyone involved. And I'm talking about the, the, the university researchers, a commitment to Indigenous-led research. We're not here to decide what questions are important, you know, what, what is meaningful to communities and community members. That should be for the communities to decide for themselves. What we should do as university researchers is to follow the lead of Indigenous people, you know, and their communities and use our skills, what we bring to the table as scientists, as researchers, and advance, you know, um, help to advance Indigenous goals and priorities and, uh, and objectives for their own communities. Indigenous peoples know how to, how to manage the land, right? They know how to live in, rela- in, in harmony and, uh, and in close relationship with the, the land. They've been doing, uh, they've been living according to that way for millennia upon millennia. So what we need to do is to get out of the way as university researchers. And, you know, although I'm a, a, an indigenous university researcher, I'm talking about just wearing my researcher hat for the moment. So as researchers, we just need to get out of the way. There's one statistic um, that really, I think, gives light to what I'm just, what I've been talking about over the, the last few minutes here. And it's that indigenous peoples globally, they make up about 5% of uh, the world's population, but they manage 85% of global biodiversity. You know, 5% of the world's population managing 85% of global biodiversity. That's just such a striking statistic. What it means is that we need to, as governments, as planners, as researchers, we need to just let indigenous peoples manage their own territories and get out of the way, you know, make it as easy as possible for indigenous peoples to do what they've been doing for, well, since time immemorial, right? And so I think that that's the way of the future for academic research is to be allies, right? And to not come in and try to run the show in the day show or in other places, because we're not from the land, we're guests here. I think that we need to understand as researchers that we are guests, you know, and I wouldn't show up to your house, Jonathan, as a guest and try to, you know, um, move your things around, move your furniture, you know, and, uh, and use your kitchen however I want. You know, as a guest, there's rules that you respect, right? When you're in somebody, somebody else's house. As scientists, as researchers, in my case, you know, coming from southern Ontario and uh, others as well, my colleagues like Bill, you know, we're, we're coming here to your lands, your territories, and we're guests here. So as a good guest, you follow the rules, right? And you help your, your host, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the mindset that has to, to come into play in terms of academic research. And so to answer that question of what should be the next steps in, in this kind of research that's going on, I think that the, you know, what we really need to do is understand Indigenous priorities and values, Dene laws, Dene jati language, and to allow communities, you know, to assist communities in developing their own research questions, but to just follow their lead and then be attentive to what they need us to do as scientists, you know. Um, so do they need uh, water quality studies? You know, do they need to know the rate of permafrost on a certain um, area? Uh, slumping, you know, erosion, do they need to understand uh, the scientific um, data behind those processes? Or are the priorities different than that? You know, we, we just need to be flexible and to be ready to adapt our research plans according to community needs and, um, and objectives. Indige- and, and that's what I mean by indigenous-led research. 
indigenous peoples should be leading the research at every step of the way, from the beginning to the end. And it never ends because our relationship to the land is lifelong, right? We have lifelong responsibilities to the land and they're not over when, you know, the two-year, three-year, four-year project is is done and the funding is dried up, right? So uh, that's the kind of approach that I bring into my research um, wherever I go. In, in the Yucatan, you know, I was a guest on the land. I listened to the Maya people and what they needed me to do and I gladly followed as a guest, you know. And so I love the land wherever I go, whether it's in the Yucatan or here in the Decho. And what I try to do as a researcher, and I think more researchers should try to do that as well, whether they're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, treat the land like your mother, like your relative. Even if you're a guest on the land, you can still pay respect. You know, you can, you can pay the land in different ways. And how do you learn to do that? You learn it from the local Indigenous community or First Nation and listen to them, you know, when they, when they talk to you and they tell you the appropriate way to, to live on the land, that's what we need to do. You know, we need to follow uh, what, what, uh, what we're told. So. Right on. Those are, it's really good uh, because, yeah, we got to all work together and uh, make sure that, like, we move forward in a really positive way so, like, the, um, like we could, yeah, so we could, you know, work yeah work together and um i think uh, those are really great words there mcgill um <clears throat> so we have uh like i don't know any last thoughts you would uh, want to share yeah sure so um you know just to to, to touch on this uh last uh point that i raised about uh, treating the land like a relative like a, a mother in the one that language is um a word yatenoha and it means Earth Mother, you know. And so in Wandat culture, and I'm sure it's similar in, um, in the Dene culture and, uh, and values as well, uh, we consider that our first mother is the land, you know. And I'll explain why that's important. It's because, so, you know, even ahead, you know, we're higher than our biological mother. Our first mother is the land because she sustains our biological mother. Our biological mother comes from the land as well. So... In that way, and also in that way, Jonathan and, uh, you know, others here, we're, we're all related to the land, you know. So we have, we share that common mother who is the land, whereas we might not share the same biological mother. But in that way, everything is related, right? Because we're all related to the land. The same goes for our, our four-legged relatives, you know, the winged ones, um, the fish, you know, rivers, the sky, the mountains. Um, everything is related to the land, you know, the, 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 we all share as, as beings, you know, including future generations, past generations, as beings here that are sharing this, this experience on the land, you know, we share this first mother, our first relative, which is the land. And so I think it's important to think in, 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 those, um, in, in those ways, right, because that teaches us respect and humility and uh, to be humble and to... Um, always feel that sense of duty and responsibility to our mother, the land. You know, just like we fi we feel a sense of duty and responsibility to protect our own mothers from danger, to take care of them when they grow old. That's exactly how we should think about our relationship with our first mother, the land, as well, who taught our own biological mother what she knows and who nourished her and sustained her, you know, throughout her life. So, I think I'll end on that note. Awesome. Thanks, McGill. Yeah, respect is really important for um, for everything in life. And 
yeah, I just want to thank you uh, for those amazing um, answers. Um, so this is All Ages, All Voices podcast, and we'll see you later. Merci.